All right, I'm going to pray. God, today we are excited about what you'll do. And sometimes it's hard for us to be excited about things we don't yet see. And yet we're asking your Holy Spirit to do that in us. As we open your word this morning, meet us, change us, challenge us, and help us to be more the people and the church that you long for us to be, God. We love you, Jesus. We open ourselves to you. And we pray it in your name. Amen. All right. Jumping into sermon time. Do you guys need to like stand up and... Shake it out or do the hokey pokey and turn yourself or anything? Or are you ready to go? Let's go. Let's go. Okay. We're going to start with a quiz. So you're going to have to engage right away. If you have a pen or pencil handy, pull it out. Um, just grab a sheet of paper, write on your bulletin or something. If you absolutely cannot locate one of those, it is permissible for you to take this quiz in your mind. But as you get ready, let me say a few words. We are continuing our series that we started last week called Lied To... And in this series, we are exploring how Satan wants to deceive us into believing things that will lead us away from God and and the, the rich, blessed, full, meaningful life that he longs for us to have and experience. And this morning, we're talking about an area where I believe the lies of Satan love to germinate. Last week, we talked about how Satan's first and sort of foundational lie is God can't be trusted. He's holding out on you and you cannot trust him. One of the areas that ties directly to that lie and lies that grow immediately almost out of that initial lie is this area of worry. And so we're going to start off with kind of a worry assessment quiz. And this quiz isn't just something I made up. It's something I found. Um, and it's actually the shortened version of a quiz developed by a Harvard researcher on anxiety by the name of Ed Hallowell. And it, it's fairly simple. It's a self-scoring quiz. Um, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you will answer on a scale from 0 to 3. So you're going to give yourself a 0, 1, 2, or 3 for every question. Don't think too long and hard. Just give yourself a score. Um, 0 means rarely or not at all. 1 means sometimes. Two means often, and three, almost every day. Okay? Ready? So question, give yourself a number, either in your mind or on the, on the sheet. By the way, just a side note, no one's going to see these scores, just you and God, so you might as well be honest because he knows if you're lying anyway, and so do you. So just go ahead and just skip that part and be, be real. Question one, real simple one. Do you wish you worried less? Do you wish you worried less? Zero, one, two, three. Question two. Do worries sometimes pop into your mind and take over your thinking like annoying little gnats? You just kind of find them like flying around in there and you can't get rid of them. Zero, one, two, three. Question three. Do you find compliments and or reassurance hard to take? When someone gives you a compliment, they say, you look nice today, or great job at such and such, or no, I really do appreciate this about you. Do you find it hard just to receive that, just to say thank you, and to take it in, and just to feel good about it? Do you find yourself sort of arguing, or pushing back, or deflecting that? Do you find hard compliments or reassurance hard to take? One, zero, one, two, three. Question four. Are you more concerned than you wish you were with what others think of you? Now, in case you're wondering, these are sort of kind of like 
odd questions maybe, but they all actually, research has found, tie back in and sort of closely relate to this concept of worry, which is why um, Hollowell asked them on his quiz. That's question four. You're more concerned than you wish you were with what others think of you. Question five. How much do you procrastinate? Again, this is often a sign of worry. That's why it's asked. People who worry a lot tend to also procrastinate a lot. They're kind of tied together. How much do you procrastinate? Zero, one, two, three. Question six. Have you still not gotten around to answering question five? (laughs) Question six. Do you avoid confrontations? Like, do confrontations just scare you and you'll just do anything but confront somebody about an issue or a problem that you have with them? All right? Question seven. This is a little bit longer question, but it's a critical one. And so listen up. Try and stay with me on this. Fight to understand this question. Question seven. Do you ever feel compelled to worry that a certain bad thing might happen out of an almost superstitious feeling that if you don't worry, the bad thing will happen. But if you do worry, your worrying might actually prevent the negative outcome that you're worried about. Does that, did that, you follow me on that? Did that make sense? Now some of you are laughing like, who would, that's the weirdest, most bizarre. Some of you are thinking, ha ha ha, that's what I do all the time, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's question seven. All right, last question, final question. Are you worried about what your score will be on this quiz? That's actually not a real one. Okay, here's what I'm not going to do. The whole point of that quiz was really this morning just to kind of help you start to think about how worry manifests itself in your life. But here's here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to break down your scores into like subcategories and say, hey, if you scored from this to this, you're normal. If you scored from here to here, you're starting to lose it. And if your score is above this, then you need major psychological help and evaluate. No, I'm not going to do that. And here's why. Because a lot of times, many times actually, The people who struggle most in the area of anxiety and worry hear a message, even a biblical message about anxiety and worry, and all that message does is create anxiety and worry about how much they experience anxiety and worry, and they leave hearing the life-giving message of the gospel through the word of God, feeling more defeated and discouraged than when they came in, and friends, that is not our goal today. Jesus did not come to say, you should feel really guilty about worrying, and if you worry, you are a bad, bad person, and I do not like you. That has never been and will never be the message of Jesus. Instead, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at some truths that Jesus offers us to squelch the lies that Satan wants to tell you about worry in your life. And and to do that, to kind of get at some of these truths that Jesus wants to to offer you and me as a way of freedom and hope and healing, we're going to start with a little equation, kind of a math equation, high sort of engineer population here at Cedar Mill. Many of you will get this. Um, If you don't, then just stick with me as long as you can. This is a very simple equation, though, and it's, again, developed by this Harvard research guy, Edward Hollowell, and he says you can actually boil all worry, all worry that people experience, no matter what it is, no matter what they're worried about, 
all worry really boils down to this core equation, these core issues. And here's the equation he offers. Vulnerability plus power equals worry. More specifically, when your vulnerability goes up, when you feel vulnerable and susceptible, and your power goes down, your perceived ability to handle or control or change a situation specifically related to the place where you feel vulnerable, when your vulnerability goes up and your power goes down, your worry will increase. And every single place where you are worried, there is guaranteed to be some increased vulnerability and a decreased sense of your personal power to handle it. Health, money, relationships, marriage, whatever. Now, This is actually, right in the middle of this equation, is where the enemy has a heyday with us. And he loves to lie because the circumstances of our world, and even the circumstances of my life really, a lot of times they tell me I should be worried. I mean, they tell me that I am both vulnerable and Powerless. This happens all the time in a very real way. Uh, a few examples. Have you ever been in a car accident that wasn't your fault? Really vulnerable, really powerless. Have you ever contracted an illness or a health condition that you did not want to have? Have your kids ever had that experience? Talk about vulnerable and helpless, powerless. In a business deal, have you ever had someone cheat you? in a way that you didn't see coming. In your dating life, did you ever... Now, for some of you, this was a long time ago. For some of you, this is real current. In your dating life, did you ever feel like things were going really well? Great, swell, super strong connection. And then all of a sudden, out of the sheer blue, that person dumped you. Vulnerable. Powerless. Worry. I mean, when you stop and think about the possible tragedies and calamities and accidents and diseases and mishaps and missteps that you can encounter every single day in this world that we live in, it is really staggering, isn't it? I know this is a super uplifting sermon so far. Hold with me. It's going to get better. Okay. And the enemy, the enemy, the master liar, he knows you. He knows your sweet spots. And he loves to whisper to you about whatever area it is that might most concern you. You're vulnerable. It's going to happen. What if it goes down this way and you can't stop it? And if it does, there'll be nothing you can do. And friends, in many instances, here's just the truth. The enemy is right. There is reason to worry. That is until Jesus comes along and changes the equation. You see, Jesus comes along and says, V plus P equals W. That may be the equation for the kingdom of this world, but in the kingdom of God, there's actually another factor, another factor that Satan does not want you to know about and does not want you to consider. There is another way to live. There is something that can change everything about your worry equation. You see, in the kingdom Jesus comes to offer you and me, vulnerability plus powerlessness equals worry gets changed to God plus vulnerability plus powerlessness equals confidence, peace, hope, and joy. Now the question today goes a little deeper than that. Is actually this. That sounds great. And that sounds like such a Nice Sunday school, Jesus flannel graph, happy, rosy, peachy, really nice 
answer, Pastor Dave. But the question is, how do you actually, in a real life-impacting, equation-changing way, add God to your equation? How do you really add God to the equation? I mean, what does it look like? Because a lot of people in our world, a lot of people who came, claim to be followers of Jesus, who claim to have that, that equation at the very end, after the equal signs, it still says high anxiety, a lot of stress, massive worry. And so this morning we're going to explore some words of Jesus and we're going to look at some truths that when we believe them, they will start to change the worry equation in our hearts. Not overnight, not instantaneously, but God through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus at work in you, can actually begin to change the worry quotient in your life. Matthew chapter 6. Now at this point of the the sermon, most of the time I say, pull out your Bibles and open. Today I actually want to do something a little different. Today I just want to invite you to not read with me, but instead to just listen. To, to close your eyes, maybe to even lay your hands on your lap with your palms open as a way of just saying to God, Lord, I just want to receive. I want to receive what you have to say to me today about the areas of stress and anxiety and worry in my life. So if you're up for that, I invite you to do that today. Here they are, the red letter words from Matthew 6. These are the words of Christ. I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Those are just life-giving words sometimes, just to hear, even without a, a message attached But in our time remaining, I want to explore a few truths Jesus offers us to combat the lives of Satan and allow us to put God back into the worry equation of our hearts. And we'll just jump right in. Here's the first one. Truth number one. You are immeasurably valuable to God. Your existence, Jesus says, your life, you were created to live. It has supreme significance to our Lord. Hear that again. The life that you were created to live has supreme significance to our Lord. You see, Jesus doesn't start his talk on worry by saying, all right, folks, I'm here. No reason to worry anymore. I have arrived. 
I have defeated the enemy. I will crush Satan's head. Everything's going to be fine. Whatever it is you're worried about, you're stressed on, you're anxious about, hey, I'm going to handle all of it. Things will be good in no time. Just chill out for a minute. Does he start that way? Does he ever say that, actually? No, he does not. He starts his talk on worry by reminding us of our significance and the value we have as those created by God in his image. Friends, Satan does not want you to believe this. Satan wants to tell you all the time how you do not live up, how you're not loved, how you're not special, how you've blown it. Satan wants to say who you are and how you live. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care. But friends, Jesus says, do not believe that lie. Do not let the enemy move you away from believing anything less about yourself than what God says is true about you. And God says this, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says, he designed you and he created you. God says, you are actually the crown jewel of his creation. You know the flowers that Jesus mentions in this passage? He says, there's lilies of the field. Over in the Middle East, after a rain all of these tiny little purple flowers would pop up all over the place. And they would just real quickly bloom right after a rain. This is a desert region. And so these beautiful purple flowers, one or two or three days later, they would all be dried and withered and dead. And the way they cooked food in um, ancient Palestine is they would have a clay, kind of a square clay oven and it would sit on these bricks and you would build a fire underneath it and to make that fire hot and, and, and sort of get it going, people would pick these dried, withered flowers and they would throw them in to be burned underneath their stoves. And so that's the G- image that they're familiar with that Jesus is working with here and his message is this, when you are tempted to worry, remember how important you are because God even brings beauty If just for a moment to these tiny little flowers that are here today and dried out tomorrow and used for kindling in your fire, you see, if God cares for them, how much more does he care for you? Do you know how intricate and creatively and wonderfully you've been designed? Just a few things about you, about this body that you've been given by God. You may or may not know these things. Your brain has about 100 billion neurons. Nerve impulses travel to and from your brain at the rate of 170 miles per hour. It actually takes the interaction of 72 different muscles for you to produce human speech. I'm just getting a workout up here right now. Your eye, did you know this about your eyes? Amazing. They can distinguish between 500 different shades of gray. Your skull is made up of 29 different bones. An average human scalp has 100,000 hairs. And you'll notice that I said an average human scalp. Some of you in this room are bringing the average way down. I won't have you stand or raise your hands. But you know who you are and we love you. You blink, on average, 6,205,000 times a year. You make anywhere from one to three pints of saliva every 24 hours, and you actually make a little bit more when you start to think about it, don't you? (laughs) Your blood travels 60,000 miles per day on its journey through your body. 
In your entire body, there are approximately 100,000 miles of blood vessels. And one final fact, just for fun. Uh, I, I found this a while back and I thought this was really interesting. It is impossible for you to tickle yourself. Did you know that? How many of you in here are ticklish? Just, you can confess it. I'm ticklish too. Yeah, you can't tickle yourself. You see, the cerebellum, a part of your brain, warns the rest of your brain that you're about to tickle yourself. And since your brain knows it's coming, it ignores the resulting sensation. It just sort of turns it off. So now, you cannot tickle yourself. Other people can tickle you, but you cannot tickle yourself. And I know right now, hold up, hold up, hold up. Some of you are just dying to test this theory. Please don't do this in church. It's going to be awkward for the people in the pew with you. Wait till the car ride home. You know, do it in the privacy of like your own family. Okay, don't make this an awkward place. We do a good enough job of that as a pastoral team. Okay, here's the point. You're a walking miracle in so many ways. God has given you life and designed your body with power and skill and creativity and engineering that is absolutely astounding. And and Jesus says, never forget how absolutely valuable you are to the one who created you. Because that value, when you understand it and receive it and embrace it, it just raises up that G, that God quotient, in your worry equation. And worry gets chipped away at in your life just a little bit more. All right, truth number two. You don't have control, so release it to God. You don't have control anyway, so release it to God. So for some of us in this room, uh, these words of Jesus cut like a knife. And yet here's the truth. When we understand and embrace them, they are actually words of deep, deep freedom. So much freedom in just embracing this. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Kind of a, a rhetorical question there. It's kind of silly in some ways to think that people would even believe this, but it's actually one of the lies that the enemy empowers so many of us to believe. And and here's how the lie goes. You don't need God. You don't need God to help you with worry. Actually, he won't help you with worry at all. You can just handle your worry on your own. You can decrease your V. You can make your vulnerability go down. You can increase your P. You can make your power go up. You can do this all on your own. You can do it by yourself. You can do it by your own strength and effort. You don't need God for that. In this passage, Jesus talks about these birds. These birds who are out gathering food and it was widely believed and considered by the Jews that these birds, the birds of ancient Palestine, were some of the hardest working animals there, there are. They're just constantly working in a desert climate. There was no rest for these birds. It's not like being a bird in Oregon. Um, they got it easy. Our birds are living the high life. The birds over there, they had to work. And they're constantly searching and gathering and building and hunting, always on the move, always being productive. And I believe what Jesus is saying here, at least part of the truth he's getting at is this. Even these birds who work so hard, even these birds who give every effort, even these birds who tirelessly work for their own provision, even they are ultimately dependent on God's provision. You cannot get there via your own strength. And yet you see people, Christ-following people, who embrace this philosophy and try to do this all the time. In, In whatever area they feel vulnerable in, they just buckle down and determine to work really hard to 
create security, to increase their power and decrease their vulnerability, that they might have less worry. A couple examples, maybe um, one of these or more will resonate with you. Financial security. Anyone here ever wrestle with financial security? Feeling vulnerable financially or, or, or powerless to really fight what's happening around you? Well, people who just decide to take this one on their own, they will work really hard to make lots of money and they will stock as much money as they possibly can away in the bank, which in and of itself is not a good or is not a bad idea, but they will save loads and loads of money that they can feel secure, that they can feel powerful, that their vulnerability will go down and they will have to worry less. You ever watch somebody or experience somebody who takes that approach to dealing with their worry? Acceptance or approval. Maybe there's, maybe that's, that's your area of concern. The, the area that you tend to feel most vulnerable about. And one of the, that plays out in so many different ways, but one of the ways I see this happening all the time is that people who really want to be accepted and approved of and liked and they want other people to think they're beautiful is they will just go on these crazy fad diets. You ever see this happen with somebody? You're with them like one day and then you see them three weeks later and they've lost like 87 pounds. And you say, how did you lose so much weight in three weeks? And they say, well, it's just this new diet I've been on. It's called I haven't eaten for that many days and I've worked out every day. And you're like, really? Like, what's happening here? Why is this such a priority to you? That's one thing to be healthy. It's it's another to say, hey, I feel vulnerable here. So I'm going to take control by myself. And now I do not have to worry because I've grabbed a hold of this area in my own strength. Or maybe you're worried about career success. And so they start working more and more hours later and later into the evening. And here's the tricky thing, friends. Sometimes people are good at this. They actually succeed. They are able to, by their own strength, increase their power, increase their control. They are able to decrease their vulnerability. And their worry, at least for a short time, goes down. And then they'll come in and they'll sit through a sermon like this and they'll think, you know... I must be pretty spiritual. I must have a pretty high God quotient. I must really love and trust God a whole lot because I don't have a whole lot of worry in my life. And then all their effort produces nothing but self-righteousness. But friends, all of it is a mirage. It's just an illusion because you, and hear me on this, you cannot work hard enough. You not cannot take control of your own life enough to produce the confidence and peace and hope and joy that only comes through giving control to God and God alone. This is why the Apostle Paul does not say, for when I am strong, I am strong. For when I am powerful and I decrease my vulnerability, then I feel good about myself. That's not what he says, is it? He says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that in Christ's power, not Paul's power, when Christ's power comes, it may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, there's something about our vulnerability and our powerlessness that God loves to use and capitalize on to help us know and love and trust Him even more. And so the answer isn't, take it upon yourself. See, the kingdom is, the kingdom of God, the kingdom Jesus offers us, it's, it's this slippery, difficult, almost counterintuitive sort of kingdom. So often what my own instincts and emotions and feelings pull me towards doing, Jesus says do the opposite thing. 
When I feel vulnerable, when I feel powerless, I want to do something about it. I want to grab a hold of that. And Jesus says, no, don't do it. When I encounter an enemy, I want to hate him or fight him or go against him. And Jesus says what? He says, pray for him. So often the kingdom is a counterintuitive kingdom. We're going to be talking more about that in the upcoming series. That's how God works. God says, it's precisely in those moments of vulnerability and powerlessness that I'm teaching you to just let go. Any of you ever go bowling? How many people in here have never been bowling? Anyone here never been bowling? Okay, there's one. So most of us have been bowling. A couple of you can just use your imagination. But if you've ever been bowling and you've watched people bowl, which if you go bowling, that's like most of the time bowling watching other people bowl because your turn only lasts that long there's like eight other people in front of you that's the reason I don't really love bowling but that's a side note so you're watching people bowl and it's actually really fun to watch it's fascinating actually to watch people and what they do after the bowling ball leaves their hand what do people do to this bowling ball? They, they bowl it down the thing and then they do stuff like they wave at it and they talk to it and they threaten it. But most of all, what most people do after they've released the bowling ball down the bowling lane is they, they contort their bodies in various ways. Like the a famous ones like the head tilt. You see people do the head tilt or the body lean. Have you ever watched someone do like the foot hop where they're like doing the like... As if their body, these motions are somehow going to magically through a force steer the ball towards the pins in a way. No, it's pointless. It's, it, it does no good. The only thing it's good for is making you look really silly. I'm just telling you, that's the case. And Jesus says this. Here's a tip for both fun-filled bowling and for life. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Uh... Wah, wah. Okay. Do everything you can to be faithful when that ball is in your hands, whatever that ball is for you. Get your footwork right, bend your knees appropriately, have correct backswing, try for the right release point, but when you let it go, just let it go and realize that that little ball is no longer in your control. Just roll it down the lane and say, God, it's up to you now. All my hope, all my life, all my faith is in you. Don't just do it for bowling, do it for life. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? You do not have control. So release it to God. Truth number three. God knows what you need and he is with you. This is actually the truth that I believe maybe more than any others will transform your life of worry. It's not about trying hard not to worry. It's about trying hard to understand and truly believe and practice trusting that God knows what you need and that he is with you. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now Jesus mentions the pagans here. Uh, the pagans were just people who didn't worship the one true God. These are the non-Jews of Jesus' day. And in the Greco-Roman Empire, that was pretty much most people besides the Israelites. And the pagans didn't worship one God. They worshipped multiple gods. And these gods were actually very selfish, self-focused deities. They did not really want to take care of the people who 
worshipped them. They did not really want to serve them. They did not want to answer their prayers. That was not their highest priority. They were more self-focused. And this is why Jesus, by the way, is kind of a side note, when he talks about prayer, he says, and this is right before he gives us the Lord's Prayer, he says, and when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans. Because the pagans, when they prayed, they were constantly trying to, to coax and bribe and convince their gods to see their needs and to help them out. And they did this through long, flowery or, orations that were filled with lots of flattery and sweet talk and kissing up, all in an attempt to try to get the gods to notice them and care about them just for a minute. But Jesus reminds us again that this is not our God. That is not who he is and that is not how he operates. Instead, he says, we have a loving father who uses all things, all things, good, bad, tragic, anxiety-producing, difficult, hard, heart-wrenching, all things for his glory and the good of those who love him. You see, what Jesus is saying is, God is always thinking about what's best for you. He always is thinking about exactly what you need. And so Jesus says, instead of spending our time and energy and long flowery prayers trying to get God on board with our needs and our worries and our agenda, He says we need to focus on getting our lives on board with His agenda. Friends, this is some great advice. If you are, str- if you are someone who struggles with worry, Jesus says the solution is not trying harder not to worry. If you've ever had a worry or a real anxious thought of any kind, just focusing on it and trying not to worry about it actually makes it worse. It's like trying to hold a beach ball underneath the water in your swimming pool. You ever tried to do that? Like you can get it under for a minute and then like blink, it pops right out, right? You can't do it. The more you think about your worry, the more you try to convince yourself, don't be worried about that, don't be anxious, just let it go, the more you actually dwell on it and think about it, and the bigger and bigger and more overwhelming it gets. And so Jesus says, when it comes to worry, don't think about your own worry, don't think about your own stuff and your own agenda, think about God's agenda. Focus your thoughts and energy and concerns on kingdom stuff. See, here's, here's one of the things that's tricky about the Bible It teaches that God, that his promise to you and me is not to actually come in and fix stuff. It's not to protect you and prevent difficult, painful, heart-wrenching situations that might happen to you in this world. In fact, God's promise is 180 degrees in the other direction. It's the opposite of that. He actually says, hey, come follow me. I promise you, you're going to have some rough times in this world. God doesn't say, come follow me and everything will be rosy. His promise is this. It's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, but you can count on this. You can take this to the bank. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Through whatever it is you go through, I know what you need and I will be right by your side. That's God's promise. That's what what it means to add the G. That's what it means to add God to the worry equation of your life. A while back, someone from our church sent me the story of an old Native American practice that when it was time for a young boy from this certain tribe to become a young man, his father would take him into the forest and sit him on a log. And then he would put a blindfold over his eyes and he would say, 
here's how this will go. You're not to take off this blindfold. You're to sit here all through the night. You're not to move. You're not to sleep. Do not even peek. And in the morning, when the sun rises and the light starts to shine in through the edges of this blindfold, you can remove the blindfold and make your way back home. And then you will have completed your journey from boyhood to manhood. And so a father would lead his son out deep into the wilderness. He would sit him down. He would blindfold him. And then the son would sit. And it would get dark. And soon his mind would start to play tricks on him the way our minds do, right? And he would hear things. He would hear noises in the forest. And he would begin to imagine. And he would begin to stress. And he would begin to worry and be filled with anxiety about the beasts of the forest that were coming closer and crouching on him and, and waiting any possible moment they were going to pounce and devour him. And he began to, to wonder about the neighboring tribes and if they had found him and if they were going to, to capture him at any moment. And at every second throughout the night, he was tempted to remove the blindfold to see what was there. And yet because he so longed to not disappoint his father and his tribe and his family and become a man, he sat with the blindfold on all night. And he would listen to the voices and he would not sleep and he would not move. And finally in the morning, that sun would rise and the light would start to shine in around the edges of his blindfold and he would remove it from his face only to find what? That his father had been sitting on the other end of the log unbeknownst to him all night long. And in hindsight, knowing that his dad was there, all the worry and all the anxiety and all the stress that he had imagined in his brain just faded away. It would just fade away because it wasn't that the bears were no longer there. It wasn't that there were no longer wild animals in the forest. It wasn't that the neighboring tribes had suddenly become friendly. No, all of that was still a reality. But there was just something about knowing that his father was present that made it less scary. And that's what Jesus tells us ultimately about worry. He says in the middle of our vulnerability and powerlessness and worry, God is there. So I have to ask you, friends, as we close this morning, what's the worry that you're carrying today? Where are the places in your life where you're tempted to feel vulnerable and powerless And be overwhelmed with anxiety? Where are the places where you're tempted to grab the reins of of your own life on your own? Maybe it's anxiety over your family or your children or your marriage or a relationship that you're concerned about. Maybe you're worried about finances. Maybe it's your job or it's school or it's a family situation. Maybe there's something really tragic happening in your life right now and you feel vulnerable and you feel powerless and you just need to remember and declare and remind your heart and mind and soul, my God is with me even through this tough season. We're going to close our service by receiving communion together. Here's what I invite you to do today. Our worship team's going to come up and they're going to play for a bit. We're going to give you a little time. Just get right with God. Just think about the places where you're concerned, where you're anxious, where you're stressed, where, you're, where you are worried. And then I want you to bring those, those concerns to the table. And I want you to give them to our Lord, the Lord who, who gave his body and shed his blood to overcome the power of sin and death 
and evil and tragedy and worry and stress and anxiety in our world. You see, Jesus died for so much for, like, for all of sin and fallenness and brokenness. But in that, as a part of that, is that part of you and me that tends to worry and be filled with anxiousness. And so just bring that to him today and just bring that area, that specific relationship, that specific thing. And if, you, if you're brave enough to do this, I asked the first service to do it. Um, you might feel real silly doing it, but I think God loves this kind of stuff. I think he uses it in our lives. Just carry it. Just just determine what that place is, what that thing is, and put it in your hand, imaginary, and then just, as you come to the table, just place it on the communion table. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Say, God, I just declare that you've got this under control. I'm letting it go. I'm releasing it to you. And through these elements, I declare again that you are with me. So when you're ready, come to the table. Take the bread and the cup. Go back to your seat and receive it on your own whenever you're ready. Father, thank you for this morning. And God, I personally long for you just to fix the stuff in my life that I want fixed so often. And yet at the end of those those roads, so many times I have discovered that you had something bigger going on. That there was a deep, rich, growing trust in you that I would have missed out on if you had just fixed it. And there are other times, God, where I still don't understand why you didn't fix it. But your word asks us to trust you, and so that's what we do. As we come to the table, Lord, help us to lay down some of those worries and anxieties, reveal those places to us, and then may we be people, may we be a church that constantly knows that you're with us and you'll never leave us. That's our prayer, God. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.